This is the Beyond the Studio podcast, and you're listening to Season 2, Beyond the Studio West Coast Edition. I'm Amanda Adams. And I'm Nicole Muller, and we're here to help you figure out the business of being an artist. Here we'll share honest conversations with artists, makers, and business experts, and dive deep into the work that happens beyond the studio. Support for this season comes from Southern Exposure's Alternative Exposure Grant Program in partnership with Facebook's Artist in Residence Program and the Andy Warhol Foundation. If you find value in listening to Beyond the Studio, we'd love to ask you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It's the easiest way to show us some love and to help others find the podcast. Thank you so much in advance for letting us know what you think and for supporting the show. You might hear some adult language used occasionally on the show, so please be mindful of those around you and pop in some headphones if needed. This episode's brought to you by Artwork Archive. Artwork Archive is an online platform that makes it easy to manage all aspects of an art career. I know this firsthand because I actually use Artwork Archive to organize and manage my own business. Artwork Archive tracks your artwork, sales, shows, and contacts, automatically builds schedules, and sends you reminders so you're always one step ahead. And for a limited time, Beyond the Studio listeners get 20% off when you get started with their free trial at www.artworkarchive.com beyond. Start connecting with collectors, getting organized, and building your art career now. On today's episode of Beyond the Studio, we are interviewing Bunny Reese. Thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, do you want to walk us through your like what your art looks like and your your journey thus far? Oh boy, it's like <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a marathon that I'm not even like a quarter of a way through. So that's a good thing. Um, <laughs> slow and steady with with you know all art careers, but I've been developing this style for a really really long time, over 20 years, which I feel like is just a newborn in in the art world and it's it's mostly based off of you know my background which my family's eastern european i have russian and polish in my family in addition i started traveling at a pretty young age on my own so i have a lot of different information that has sort of like been filed away in my brain that i think combines with my uh ancestors and and what i see and what what is part of just my makeup and uh, I, I think mm-hmm. a lot of artists come from those places. They don't maybe realize it when they're younger. And then as you get older and you start to wonder why you keep drawing the same lines over and over again, you start to wonder why, you know, you're attracted to certain colors and symbols and you start researching your own life. Then you can start to get these clues that I think give you more of an idea of why you make the way you do and, and why you have the imagery that you do. So um, that's kind of the longer answer. (laughs) Yeah. Did I see that you were born in Maryland? Yeah, I was born in Maryland, but raised in Colorado. I am currently in Baltimore, and I partly grew up in Colorado. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Small world. (laughs) Yeah, and I saw that you had also gone to SFAI in San Francisco, uh, which is where I live currently. So we found all these little connections. Um, But you're currently based in Southern California, right? A little close to LA? I live in Los Angeles. I have a home in Joshua Tree that um, I bought just this past year. So I've been kind of like fixing that up and I split my time between both. But I did live in the Bay Area for about 20 years. So I was there for a long time. And you you seem to be traveling and adventuring all the time. Uh, Does place play a big role in your art making and your process? Absolutely. I, you know, especially with public art, it's, it's just a huge world out there, and there's so many ways that you can be effective with your voice. And if you put it in public and you make it free for everybody and you can find people that fund you, then you have a real opportunity to speak up. And I think as women right now, it's really important that we use our voice as often as we can. I feel pretty lucky that I have the opportunities that I have, but most of what I'm traveling for is for work. But I guess it's leisure, too, because it's it's a fun life. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much all over, but I do have a home base. I think people have a misconception that I live on the road, and I do have a home, a really stable home, actually. And, again, feel very lucky for that, that I'm able to just travel and then come home and have some peace and quiet and, and a studio practice as well. Yeah. Um, can you take us through your creative journey a little bit? 
also just from growing up in Colorado to how you eventually found yourself in San Francisco, Southern California, and then started to integrate this traveling lifestyle into your work as an artist? I originally went to school for literature when I was, you know, straight out of high school. And I had always been making art on the side, but had never really considered it as a profession. I really liked writing as well. I liked creative writing and I liked reading and I liked just research. And so I kind of decided to choose that as a profession for a while and then slowly started doing a little bit more commercial art here and there and eventually just transitioned to just making art completely because it seemed to feed a different part of my brain that um, I enjoyed more. I still feel like my work is tied into storytelling, which I think is tied into my background with literature. And I think it will always go hand in hand. I just am expressing in a different way. And I love the idea of books and publishing books. So, um, you know, I published a children's book a couple of years ago and I'm publishing a new book in the spring on climate change, but there'll be a little story behind it. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. And um, anyway, to backtrack, I eventually moved to the Bay Area. I had a lot of artist friends out there and it was Mm -hmm. just time for me to leave home and kind of really transition into making art full time. And it was like a crazy, crazy wild time in San Francisco. You know, it's not like how it is now. It was still really cheap and it was kind of like late 90s, early 2000s. And it was crazy and so fun and people were just making art everywhere and I felt lucky to have this community of artists around me and also just like an incubator I never felt rushed I never felt like I got to do this right now I mean we everybody was broke and everybody was hustling but we all really had each other and we were all just like doing all sorts of crazy renegade art and eventually I decided I wanted to get my master's in painting which was tricky at first because I have an undergrad in literature I don't have a background in art so I had to really fight my way in but I did it and I got it paid for I had a great time there that's great yeah it was I mean it's sort of a benefit of going to school a little bit later like waiting on your master's Because you can navigate the system a little more. Yeah. You know, it's so expensive to go to school. So I went to school. Um, I loved it. Um, It was awesome. Again, Bay Area was a very different animal at the time. I moved to France for a little while. And I just kept working. You know, I worked really, really hard. And I still worked really hard. And I took every opportunity I could get. And then um, eventually... I got pushed out of the city like most artists, and I moved to Oakland, and I lived in, again, another really magical community. I just felt very supported in the Bay Area, and I think that everyone who has lived there who has functioned as an artist can say that. I don't think there's many people that would say, like, that isn't an amazing place to really learn how to be an artist. And I don't mean, you know, just practicing your skill. I mean, like, living day to day. And sort of like what it really takes, like working four or five jobs and living community Uh and like helping each other out as often as possible. But um, yeah, you know, my my time eventually came to an end. I was doing larger projects. I was doing a lot of projects in L.A. and I wanted bigger things and I kept hitting the ceiling there. I knew that it would either have to be L.A. or New York was one or the other. And L.A. seemed to really want me. Just the projects there were amazing that I was getting, you know, I was just, it was wonderful, wonderful murals and, and warm weather all the time. And Mm -hmm. not so far. I I didn't feel like starting over after so many years on the East coast, even though I love New York. So eventually I moved down there and it's been almost four years and I love it down here. And this will probably always be my home now. And I really kind of think when I took that leap, it put me in a really different position in, in the art world. It kind of launched me into what was going to be the next part of my life, which, you know, was much larger public art, much larger budgets, much, much larger clients, and a much more international base. You know, you've got LAX there, you know, it takes you anywhere in the world. And once you kind of start taking, you know, all that skill that you learned for so long and putting it into place in a larger market, things really change for you. And especially a work ethic like that, you know, it's hard in the Bay Area. It's like a hamster wheel, you know, you're just like running, (laughs) running, 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 running. You're always trying to catch up and you have that work ethic. You move to a city and you keep that work ethic. It's inevitable that something's going to happen. It has and it is and it's great. Yeah, 
That's exciting to hear. Do you feel like your move to LA has opened up opportunities for you more locally, like getting to be a part of that creative ecosystem or because LA has such an international art scene that it being present there has opened up more opportunities for you travel wise or maybe a little bit of both? Yeah, definitely both. You know, I, I mean, I definitely right away when I got there, I think I did like 14 murals. Like, I mean, it was, it was insane. Wow. That's a lot. Oh my God. Just like one after another, after another. And it it just exploded. It was nuts and tons of press and two very large walls downtown. And I still love whenever I get the opportunity doing murals in, in the local area. You know, I love putting stuff up in my hometown in places that I spend the most time in, but Eventually, like all markets, like all business, you have to expand. And um, I started getting a lot of public art commissions and, you know, bigger projects where other places in the U.S. or other countries wanted public art and and had budgets for that. Yeah. Can you talk about how some of these projects are coming about? Like, are these public art commissions, privately commissioned pieces? Are these part of like mural festivals or like what types of projects are you taking on? Um, and how do they typically come to you? Typically they come to me from word of mouth or just from, uh, online exposure. You know, I think it's super duper important for all artists to utilize the internet as often as possible. I think you have to remember that you're running a business and, E-commerce is no different. You are a brand. You're a person that needs to be online all the time. And uh, I get a lot of cold calls. And more and more often, they book my year. I do apply for a few things. Usually in January, I just, just as good measure, I think it's really important, uh, you know, for artists to constantly be applying for calls and grants and anything you can. Um, I think it keeps you humble and I think it keeps you hungry. And um, there's always something bigger that you can reach for. But I kind of do in combination again of all all different things. I try to do one or two private commissions a year in someone's house or on the side of their house, in nurseries, I don't know, all sorts of different locations in people's private houses, which I like, but I only really have time for a handful of those a year. Uh, I usually do, I don't know, one to two like art commission pieces a year, which is pretty great. Uh, Sometimes three or four if I can. I usually do a few privately sponsored ones by different companies. It depends. I do work with a couple agencies. We're not exclusive, but they help me to kind of get larger clients where I need like a go-between that can go over contracts and, and that kind of stuff for me. And these are agencies that work with artists yeah. to link up with these kind of projects? They do. You know, a lot of like the gallery, I think the gallery model isn't working so well anymore. And so a lot of galleries have turned into consulting or agencies, which work great. You know, I think it's important to find projects that your artwork fits into instead of trying to like fit into projects. It's a good lesson that like everyone's got a place and Mm -hmm. it'll make you feel bad if you're trying to like fit yourself into like square peg round hole syndromes. So a a good agency will find projects for you that are a good fit. Like I would really like to do something for children's hospital. And I've put that out a bunch of times because I know my work would work well there, but also, um, that's an organization that I want to support. So I kind of make a wish list and, um, you know, the agencies help me when they can. And then uh, I, I don't do too many mural festivals. They can be kind of taxing. There are a lot of energy, a lot of people, a lot of like talking and interviewing. And I usually choose mm-hmm. one or one or two a year. I, I think I've got it down to maybe just one a year right now. And it's usually if it's in a, a place that I love, a country I want to go to, or if it's close by a family, that's, um, that's mm-hmm. always great, you know, because then I can I can see family too. Have projects always been coming to you in this way, or how did you start to uh, grow and evolve the creative community uh, that you're a part of online? Oh, no. I've had to work so hard, so hard to get opportunities, and I still do. I mean, yeah. even if they come to me, you'll get like 10 inquiries a month, and maybe you'll get three of those projects if you're lucky. You know, because even mm-hmm. though people are inquiring... Yeah. 
they still want you to do X amount of work in order just to fulfill, you know, what they're asking you to do. Like I'll have lately, I've had like a lot of developers reaching out, which is kind of a weird thing. I'm not sure how I totally feel about it. So I have to sort of pick and choose where it is. And I have to research the company quite a bit before I decide to do anything. But, you know, they want concepts and all these things before they're even ready to say yes to anything. So the process is tricky. And I feel like, again, it's just numbers. It's just working, working, working. It's being, um, I think, really generous and I think it's it's doing like a lot of free work when you're young. I don't know, like I guess learning how to slowly build momentum around who you are and, and having like a consistent voice around it. I also think like working with nonprofits, like figuring out where you want to fit into the humanitarian side of being an artist, I think is really, really important because the more that you put out in the world and the more that you give, the more it's going to come back. And I, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of things that I, I have really strong feelings about, but like climate change and, you know, the way that we're treating the earth, all of these conversations that are really hot topics right now are not such new discussions for artists. And I'm just glad that they're out in the open. I'm glad a lot yeah. of people are talking about them. Yeah. <laughs> um, Bunny, how much of your time would you say is spent traveling versus um, in LA at your home base? Oof. Well, I'm always trying to stay home. That's like the funny thing is I'm always like, how much time are going to have in my studio? But then I just, you know, I, it's hard. It's hard to say no. Um, so I'm trying to find a balance. I would say almost once a month I'm going somewhere. These are typically for mural projects around the world? Yeah, it's almost always mural projects. It's like 95% of the time. I, I will send artwork out for group shows and shows in other countries or other places, but I hardly ever go to them. It's it's the mural projects that I'm flying for. Mm-hmm. And your time at home, what does that typically look like when you're working in the studio? Like what's a typical studio day or week? Or I get up super early and it's usually a good 14 hour day. I don't like to be too much. I know it's like long day. I don't do too much night owl stuff unless I just push through, but I really like to hunker down for like long, 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 long hours because sometimes it's just like piddling around with a million other things before I can actually get to painting. So I put in, I like to block out like days and days and days. And I like to ride my bike a lot. Like I go on night rides a lot. My partner and I love riding bikes. He's, he's also a big bike rider. And I, I think that that like helps a lot to relieve just sitting all the time. Cause if I'm not sitting, I'm standing for like 14 hours a day. So it's one of the other, so it's body yeah. movement. I surf too, which I think helps a lot, but I try to get into nature whenever I can. And, um, socialize minimally, sadly, <laughs> sometimes I really miss people, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm in my studio for hours at a time when I'm actually in my studio. Is it mostly doing the actual creative work or do you set uh, studio time aside to do the administrative work where you're like handling emails and and putting out proposals and and kind of conceptualizing projects? Well, I'm, I'm like an avid sketchbook user. So a lot of my sketchbook time is like the beginning of ideas. And I usually mm-hmm. go from like sketchbook to small painting to larger painting and then sometimes to wall. So these images will get painted like over and over again. Sometimes they'll get combined. Sometimes I'll go back to old sketchbooks. So that goes on a lot in my studio. Um, and I'm usually working on a body of work. I usually, right now I'm trying to do solo shows every other year. And then I do a handful of group shows in between those years. So uh, the process is kind of always going. The administration stuff comes whenever I have time. And uh, it's usually early morning. Like I usually will just get up really early over my coffee. And I've tried to like have assistance and sometimes I do, which help me with that kind of stuff. But I think most of us are in classic small business models where we're making just enough to like be a little bit bigger than a small business, but it's hard to employ people full time. Usually have an assistant helping me whenever I can and whenever I'm local. And are they helping more on the administrative end of things or are these studio assistants that are helping with the the actual work itself? Uh, They're doing administrative stuff. And then running like massive amounts of errands, just like post office and paint supplies and ordering and like all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's not like super exciting work, but it's really easy. And I'm, I'm like really nice person. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. You're a joy to work for. 
It is, it's interesting to hear though, how different artists manage their practice and their daily life. And, um, one thing we're interested in is how artists are able to balance their creative work with that more administrative end, which is such a different brain and whether it's something they're integrating into their daily studio life or having to, to set aside separate times or even days where they're just focused on that or just what that balance looks like. Yeah, it's really tricky. And sometimes it is a full day of like administration stuff, you know, because once I get into a groove of painting, like yesterday morning, I was up at 7am. I don't think I stopped painting until almost midnight. Like it was such a long day. And then I was <sighs> super wound up. I was just like wound up. I couldn't sleep. So then I was cleaning my room and, you know, and that's what happens when I'm painting. I just get in it and then I, I don't want to come out. So when I'm doing the administrative of stuff, it can like get a little confusing in my brain because I just need to concentrate on one or the other. But, um, when I have someone helping me, it's awesome because I mean, honestly, there's days like where I'm so nuts. I, I can't even get to the bank or the grocery store. Like I can't, I, there's no way because the work is just piling up. So, um, mm -hmm. it sort of ebbs and flows. It's never quiet though. I have to like really stop and take time off. Like I usually take a month off during the summer, sometimes five or six weeks if I can, because during the really hot points in the summer, like July, you don't really want to be painting murals and you definitely don't want to be in your studio and you don't want to be in Southern California. So, right. <laughs> so I usually try to take like, you know, a solid month off if I can. And what would that time look like? Like what kind of stuff do you want to do in your time off? Usually a road trip. Usually I get in the car and I go somewhere. I drive around the country. I visit friends. I swim. I swim in lakes. I swim in rivers. I do things I can't do in the desert. My partner is a filmmaker, and so sometimes we'll go in his stuff because he gets into a lot of film festivals. And it's really cool because you meet like all different kinds of artists that you normally wouldn't as a muralist. Um, and it's just it's just like a different kind of an adventure. So. It's still professional life, but not my professional life. So it's fun. It's fun for me in that way, too. Yeah, there's something so cool about uh, Nicole and I are both also partnered up with fellow creatives. Uh, and there's something really neat about having your significant other also be creative, but in a very different way. And it it really does open up your, your community and, and the things that you're exposed to in such a such a cool way, like. My husband's a musician and he does some crazy shit and, and meets a lot of crazy people. And it's it's fun. And it, it like taps into my own art making in a weird way. Super rad. Like we he was in the Marfa Film Festival this summer and we met the coolest artists like he had been there before, but I'd never been there. And it's just like an extraordinary community of artists. Like there was so many like well-rounded creative individuals that we're dabbling in so many different things, like things I would never even think about. Because in a weird way, when you start to kind of climb into the luge of whatever like practice you're in, you're like in it. Mm -hmm. And so around you is like, you're almost like horse blinders. You're only seeing like other muralists. You're only talking to other painters. Like you forget. And then all of a sudden mm -hmm. you get this exposure and it's like, oh, wow, there's so many cool things going on. Like, crazy awesome projects and really cool people it was fun it was real fun yeah that sounds incredible one thing I really love about everything you've talked about is just how much you've been able to integrate every part of your life into your work that I think something a lot of artists are striving for but that's really hard to achieve in practice is that fluidity and um, not having these kind of siloed parts of our lives, but being able to weave the work and the lifestyle and the community, all of those things together so that they really reinforce each other. And so it's really fun to hear about how you've been able to do that. Yeah, I don't think there's much division. And I feel like when you look at art history and you look at like real wacky artists, like people who have just been doing like so much weird stuff for centuries, like there doesn't seem to be much division in their life. It just is. And so I kind of look at everything as like a project, like this property that I'm on right now is so much fun because it's just like a project. It's like a huge art project. And um, I can just do whatever I want to whenever I want to. There's no deadline on it, you know, and it's just like, I could paint the floors or the ceiling. I can like drill things on the side of the building. Like it's just really, really cool. And so 
once I started understanding that, that, you know, my life's always going to be this way and it's really awesome, I'm making enough money to survive and that's what I need. I relaxed into the idea that nothing's ever going to be conventional and um, it's okay. It's totally okay. Yeah. I'm trying so hard not to like geek out as a big fangirl because I love your work so much and the lifestyle that you have really emulates the lifestyle that I'm working towards of this kind of just very freeing, unconventional, adventurous time of just making cool work. And I'm not trying to be rich, but I, I want to have a rich life. Yeah, I mean, if you're an artist, you know, it's like you're never going to be like a super wealthy person. And <laughs> it doesn't really seem like you really want that in general. I mean, I just like look at this world and I'm like, God, that sounds like the worst idea. But obviously nobody wants to starve. So you got to figure out a way yeah. to pay your bills and take care of yourself and take care of your community and all that stuff. And I think there's a good balance. You know, there's definitely a balance. And like I said, I'm just grateful. I would have never thought that I'd be able to ever afford land or property or anything like this by making just my art. But I think it's a testament to like hard work, constant hard work, you know, and like not giving up on what your belief system is and what you really want to do in this world, because everyone's going to tell you you can't do it. I mean, everyone is, whether it's because, you know, artists just have a tradition of like starving. It's like a joke, you know, like a starving yeah. artist is a joke. And it's actually like such a horrible thing to say. You know, it's like, oh, nobody wants to hear that. But it's also like... You know, I think as women, you're just told that you're not going to be able to do it. You know, no one ever is like, you can do this. You're really going to be able to do this. If you, if you like, put your nose down, you can do this. It just never happens. And so I think it's, it's good. And I think it's good to just keep reminding yourself that even on those frustrating days, it's going to be okay. You'll get through it. Yeah, that's so important to hear and really inspiring to hear I mean, your story and other artists' stories, too, I think, are a testament that it really is possible. And there is so much stigma in, in those internalized beliefs that really can, can become very discouraging, I think. But, yeah, it really discredits artists because I think that, you know, we're, we're so creative in the studio. And artists tend to be amazingly resourceful and resilient and ambitious and all of these qualities that, you know, in any other field would be just such a, a clear indicator of success. Uh, like, I think that in another field, you know, people would look at those attributes and it would be really encouraging. Like, this is a completely possible life for you to live and you can absolutely work this out. Um, but for some reason, I think that a lot of artists struggle with applying that same mentality um, that they have with their work to their life and career. Um, and, it, and it's really hard to, to keep going and to kind of overcome those mental roadblocks. Yeah, I mean, and I think artists forget that part of being an artist is being like a, a creative problem solver. You know, you're not just a maker, you're someone that's looking at solving problems in a different and more creative way. So you have to look at your life that way too. Like, how do you solve this problem? You know, and sometimes it's like eating a huge piece of humble pie. And sometimes it's asking for help. And sometimes it's like making a whole bunch of work and selling it really cheap because you got to pay your rent, but you do it, you know? And I think really well-rounded artists, like, you know, I always watch, I love Dabs and Myla. They're just, they've just really been work. They've worked so hard. And I can see the last couple of years that their career really took a turn. And um, especially since they did the stage for the MTV Music Awards, like things really like picked up for them. But, you know, every couple months they do a flash sale of $300 studies. Like their paintings are going for thousands and thousands of dollars, but they still like, Every couple months, they'll sell like 20 paintings online for $300 a piece, which I just think Damn. reminds me every time. It doesn't matter how famous you are. It doesn't matter like how well known you are, like make your art accessible and just remember who you are and pay your bills and like make that work be available to everybody. And don't forget that like that's that should always be an answer. It should never not be something that everyone can't purchase or I, I mean, I just, I love that. And I think like any curator will tell you it's a bad idea. You know, I can remember <laughs> for years, so many art curators being like, yeah, you really shouldn't, you know, the value of your art and all this stuff. And I was like, 
it's bullshit. Like artists are always going to do whatever we want to do. That's why we're artists and there's no formula. So it's, you know, but again, it just took like years, years to like figure that one out. Yeah. I think as artists, you get, you get this idea that you're, you're waiting for that, like one moment to really change the game for you, but it's really a lot of, of little moments that develop into your, your career and what makes your, your finances work. I'll use an example. There was a a commission I had gotten from a, a, a big company several years ago. And I was like, Oh my God, I have arrived. And then I'm like, well, no, I'm still, I'm still a barista. So I haven't arrived (laughs) because this was a great deal, but like, I can't live off of this forever. And this doesn't, you know, just because I have one good commission or, or one great project doesn't mean that it's now opening the doors for a million projects to just come my way. Like it still is a lot of hard work. And there are still months where I'm like looking at my bank account and I'm like, okay, how to make this work? I don't know. <laughs> Sell everything. Totally. You just figure it out. And um, it's true. I mean, every year my projects get bigger and every year the budgets get bigger. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's like I've watched the slow progression and, you know, I just am thankful. I'm so thankful and I'm so flattered by people who are supporting me and grateful that they like hear me. They hear what I'm saying, you know, and they think yeah. that what I'm saying is something, you know, because there, there's a lot of people yelling like really loud all the time. And I'm glad that people want to hear it. I'm really glad. And I'm so I don't know. I'm just thankful all the time, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like a lot about being an artist is knowing when to appreciate the things that are coming your way and keeping your chin up when things are not coming your way. Like it, it is a constant ebb and flow. Yeah. It's just, it's crazy. (laughs) It's constant. Well, on the topic of kind of big experiences, even though I think we've all realized there's, there's not that one thing that's going to completely change your life at any point in your career, rather just a series of small moments that slowly evolve into uh, making your work and life possible. Um, But have you had any really impactful experiences you can think of that were either good learning experiences or did help to open at least some doors along the way that, that you can point to as being Um, just really impactful experiences. When I moved to France, I feel like my practice changed a lot because I was in like a really formal, it was like a school there, but it was also, I mean, it wasn't like accredited school. It was like practice. And they made you sit with the model for like so many hours. It was a French school, French art school. I was super isolated. I was in the country and all I could do was just make make art. I mean, that's all everybody was doing. And there were only 20 of us that, you know, everybody was from all over the world. And I really felt like, that experience really taught me really taught me the rules you know like how to draw the figure how to draw still life how to paint still life like those kinds of things which I think then in turn taught me how to break the rules so it was nice Mm -hmm. to get like a really formal background because I think it's it's good to know that you can do that because then you start to unlearn that which is how I think you start to develop your own conversation Um, And I I mark that as like a really pivotal time in my life. I think when I traveled to India, that was another place that just sort of really shook me. I just, I saw so much and I processed so much that, you know, those were two experiences. But then, you know, when I, when I started painting like really large walls, when I went to the Philippines with um, Labas projects and did walls there, the walls were just monsters. They were awesome. And I had such a large fan base there that I had no idea I had. And everybody was just so great. There were so many... I just had like the coolest fan fan group out there and it was a really awesome project. And I think as the walls have grown, like last year I did a huge wall in Detroit that was six stories and that was great because it was so big. Um, it was on one of the oldest synagogues in Detroit, downtown Detroit. So that was super cool. I mean, these really large walls are, are something they just kind of like knock your socks off because you can't, believe that you're actually doing them because the scale is so big, but they also, at least for me, they feel like completely natural. I, I feel like more comfortable doing something that big than like doing a tiny, tiny painting. It's really wow. fast for me too. Like it, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal to me. It's just really cool when I step back and, and look at it. 
It's like I just swam like miles upstream or something. Yeah. How do you approach a project of that scale? Because it's so physically demanding too. Like I've painted a lot of murals, more small scale, but started to increase the scale a little bit of them. And I feel like at the end of every day of like being up on a scissor lift, it's just... I mean, it takes so much out of you. Do you have like a team that you're working with that's helping to execute these just for the actual painting itself? And then also I'm curious how you prepare for a project like that because your perception of a piece is so different when you're up that close as opposed to, like you said, being able to step back and take it all in. Are you usually planning these murals out exactingly or is it more... Um, spontaneous? Uh, They're super planned out. I don't have a team. I usually request that my walls are buffed and ready for me when I get there. But yeah, I haven't really... I mean, every once in a while, have like an assistant help me on site for doing Mm -hmm. some fills, but mostly I just do it on my own. I don't do a lot of projection. I just kind of grid it out because I think it allows for your own hand to come into play as like an illustrator, essentially. You know, if you're just tracing it, then it it's it's clean, but it's like it has a different feel to it. And not that I haven't projected, but I just I try to avoid doing that and instead like really using the architecture of the building as a grid and then also having a grid. And I think relying on the grid is is a better way for your brain to like understand the scale of the building. But yeah, I usually request a picture of the building and then I do a bunch of renderings ahead of time to try to get an idea of how things are going to fit. I mean, you can't really see it when you're on the wall. And then, you know, I have to kind of go back and forth a lot. But if you're using that grid, then it all sort of like works together. And I Mm -hmm. sort of, I have like a way that I'm handling the fill so that I don't get ahead of myself with the design. And I do um, large, medium, small for filling. So everything that's big gets done first. And then once I'm done with that, I do all the medium. And then once I'm done with that, I'm allowed to go in and do all the details, but I'm not allowed to do any of of it before it's time. Because I think that your composition can get screwed up and then places get ignored, certain areas of the mural get ignored. And so you're kind of sweeping over it. You're kind of doing um, sweeps over, over the wall every day. And I, again, I tend to work really early. I try to get to the wall, you know, like 6.30. I'm on it by 7. And I work straight through until about 2. And then I take a quick, like, lunch break, maybe just half hour, not too long, so that my body gets used to sitting. And then I'm back up Mm -hmm. and I work until dark. And uh, I usually have to come home, take a really hot bath, get into bed. And it's just, it's every day, no drinking, no partying, no eating meat, like, super healthy, uh, easy, digestible foods. I mean, you have to stay like crazy healthy because it's so physical, you know, and then I usually try to get some body work when I'm done. I think it's just like anybody else, honestly, that's doing something that's really, really physical. It's just a mental game that you have to really concentrate on. I do think though that like with my murals, I'm oftentimes like fixing my mistakes as I go. The rendering will adjust because when you get on the wall, it's all going to adjust. And sometimes I'll Mm -hmm. just like, I'm an incredibly messy painter for being like having such tight work. It's just ridiculous. I make a mess. So there's always like touch ups and things that I screw up on and I have to add a different shape to it. But it's cool because it just adds to the mural. You know, it adds a little flexibility to it. Yeah. How long does it typically take you to complete a large scale mural like that? Um, It depends on if I'm doing it in spray paint or if I'm doing it in acrylic. Uh, if it, it's pretty much the same, same amount of time though, just a few days, you know, I, mm-hmm. I think for like the bigger ones, you want to block out like seven, seven or eight days. And for little guys, it, it's just like three, three days, maybe four max, you know, they, they go pretty fast. Mm-hmm. And when you say, sorry, this is getting kind of into like the technical end of it too. But when you say you're creating renderings of them, are these just like digital mock-ups in Photoshop? Are you usually drawing out the designs and then just digitally kind of collaging it onto the space? Like, how are you putting those together? I've been fighting like the digital mock-up and I need to start doing it. I just like love drawings, drawing things to scale and I just think it's really cool. And I've like collected all my drawings for my murals and I take them to the murals. So they're just like covered in paint afterwards. And I'll probably publish a book at some point. 
Yeah. Oh, so you're making like an architectural drawing and then you're drawing the mural on top of that. Yeah. And so like my clients get like a drawing and they don't get it in color, but they know my color palette. I don't know. I really like that. I like that feeling of like hand drawn stuff. But I think when you're applying for calls, you need to do something digital. And definitely like I've had people request like digital renderings and stuff like that. But I'm still fighting the good fight of like the hand drawn rendering. I know it's not going to last much longer for me, though. I just like the idea of, like, using an iPad or something like that. Like, I, I want to be able to always have, like, like hand my client an actual drawing, you know, like an, like an architectural draft or something. I just think it's really cool. Yeah. And so unique now, too, because everything is so digitized. It's like an art piece in and of itself. Do you have uh, any advice that you would give to artists that are kind of just starting out? It's going to take a long time and um, (laughs) it's totally fine. Just have like a really good time while you're doing it. You know, like don't get all stressed out that you need to be like the best overnight because there's no finish line and it's just like a long, long, awesome process. And, uh, I think like making art with other people, like I made art for years with my community in the Bay area and you know, all of us are in our forties now and we're, we're definitely like way more established with our careers and they're way more individual, but it was like the time of my life. Like we made the weirdest, coolest things and it pushed me to do like all sorts of stuff that I don't do now, like performance and stages and like just really awesome things. And so I really, I think that like, if you do have a good community, like work with them and make things with them because it'll, it'll just help you to develop who you are as an artist. And as you get older, you'll miss it. You'll miss those times when like you guys, you you had enough time to like be together to like make these weird things. I think too, like keeping your overhead really low, you know, like just keep things easy for yourself. Don't make it too hard. It doesn't have to be like difficult. It should be fun. You know, art, art should be really fun if, if you can keep a light head about it. And you're going to be tired. It's fine. Just like, just know it's, you're yeah. always going to be tired. You're always going to be <laughs> juggling. It. It's okay. It's fine. Like, you're like superhuman. You're going to get superhuman skills out of it. <laughs> so it's okay. <laughs> yeah, I do feel like every every struggle that I've had that's been really rough has been a really valuable learning experience yeah, never, never underestimate the power of, of collaborating with your community. And I think, too, like, if you have questions for artists, like, ask them. You know, that's the cool thing about the Internet is it's making things accessible. And they may not respond to you, but oftentimes they will. And I've, like, there's definitely been moments yeah. where I'm just, like, burned out. You know, I had a real, I had a blip this year in my schedule because I just took on like too many walls at once and I was super burned out afterwards. And it was the first time I had felt that, but I like asked other artists that I knew that I don't know that well, I messaged them and I said, look, can I send you an email? Because I have some questions for you. Like, how do you, you know, and I think it's important to, to like, remember you're always going to be going through that. There's always going to be questions. And I also think as, as an artist who's successful, if you can, you know, to all those artists out there first, I thank you if you respond you know, to other people or to me at any point, but also like if you are a successful artist and you have a moment, like respond to people, because I think that people really need, they need to know, they need to know the process and they need, they need help with it. And they need to know that they're supported in, you know, their exhaustion or their financial difficulties or, you know, sort of their need to just like get those projects. You know, I I try to respond as much as I can to people. Yeah. I know that's something we've learned a lot from doing this podcast. Like we've we've reached out to so many people that I never expected to even return back to us, but have been so generous and and willing to come on the show. And it's it's amazing how many people really do care and really do want to help and recognize that there's not that big of a difference between me and you. And and it's amazing. I I'm so pumped that that you said that, because that's something that I've learned a lot from doing this. Yeah. And there's these like invisible barriers that we place between ourselves and people that we don't know or people whose work we admire. And so I think just to even think to reach out to people isn't 
doesn't cross a lot of people's minds because there's just this assumption that we're too far apart or they never respond to me or whatever the excuse is. But yeah, I think we've really learned through doing this that people are so responsive and generous. And it's it's amazing how far just a well-written email or just a kind letter of appreciation can really go. And I think it's been really encouraging to see that generosity through other artists, um, especially if you maybe don't have that kind of built-in local community, or I, I think it's one of the advantages of, you know, having access to the internet is that it opens us up to so many, such a broader community and so many more people. And it does take a little effort to cultivate that um, and to reach out. Um, but I think that everyone should feel encouraged to do that because, you know, in our experience, it's been really wonderful connecting with all these artists. And it's really great to hear from you that the same has been true um, in your own work. Yeah, absolutely. So what are you working on right now? And, and what are your, your next goals? So I just finished a big wall right outside of Chicago for the Arts Commission in Aurora. And that was awesome. The community there is super awesome. And I just got home from that. I have coming up in November, November 3rd, I have a show at Lunarian, uh, which is a gallery that's been in the mission for so, so long. Been holding it down there oh, yeah. for yeah, a long time. They were under a different name. They renamed themselves after their daughter was born. I can't remember the original name, sadly, because my brain is like Swiss cheese sometimes. But <laughs> they've been there forever. And um, I'm showing with two other female muralists, which is great, Ursula Young and Amanda Lynn. I try to do stuff in the Bay Area when I can just so I can go back there. Because, um, you know, I have such a loyalty to having been there for so long. So it's just a small group show. And then um, I have, which I'm really excited about, I have um, a mural here in Yucca Valley, just a small one. But I was invited by the United Nations to go to Mexico City to paint a mural on climate change. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited about it. Uh, I'm going down there mid-November. Oh, no, I'm sorry. After Thanksgiving, we moved the date because I was too busy. So right after like the beginning of December. And then I have been working on a book about uh, climate change and animal extinction, which um, I'm supposed to have to my publisher soon. And I might be a little late, but it's coming out (laughs) in the spring. And uh, I'm really excited about it. It's based on an article that I read in Popular Science, which I love. I love reading that magazine. You know, I think it's really important that People remember that climate change isn't just about affecting us. It's it's about affecting the ecosystem around us, which will in turn affect all the animals. And like the extinction extinction level for animals is like crazy high, and it's it's coming like soon. It's sooner than later. So I, I really want to focus more of my energy on that. And this book has been sort of like a brainchild that I've had for a while. I spoke to my publisher a while ago about it, and they were really jazzed. So I have all the research done. I just have a lot of painting to do. And that will coincide with a solo show at Mary Karnowski's gallery, um, KP Projects, in the spring. So um, that's kind of what's just going on right now. And there's like a smattering of smaller mural projects in between, just in case I'm not busy enough. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like you've got a pretty full plate. But I always put uh, my studies up for sale during the holidays. Um, Again, like similar to Dabs and Myla and a few other of us, we, you know, we stack up with our studies. And so I make them really, really affordable right before the holidays. So people can snatch them up pretty quickly. Yeah. And, um... Yeah, that's what's going on. I mean, I can't believe it's it's already almost winter. So the year is just yeah. like, it's just a rocket, just a rocket. Oh, I'll be voting, too. And I hope everybody else yes. will be voting. Yes. Get your mail-in ballots in, please, everybody. And if not, get your butt to the polls. Yeah, amen. Yeah, this will, this will probably, well, this will definitely come out after the midterms, but... It is never it's a good universal never, message for any point in time. Yeah, it's never the wrong time to talk about it. Um, do you have any stories you would want to share that we haven't talked about? I have a hawk that's visiting me pretty regularly on my property, which has been awesome. This big, giant, beautiful hawk Ooh. that comes very, very close, and I'm able to like really examine it uh, every day at sunset. It just comes and like hangs out on the porch. And it's huge. Ah. I didn't realize how big they were, um, which is really 
just been like amazing. Like being out here is amazing for all the wildlife and the rabbit population of my property is back up because we had a really huge rattlesnake removed recently. Oh my God. It was scary. A green Mojave rattlesnake, which they mate during the fall. And so they're everywhere and they cause neurological damage. So you have to stay really far away from them. Um, but we have a catch and release. Yeah, I know. I was like, that thing is huge. We have a catch and release program here. So this, this woman came and like grab, grabbed it with a, with a grabber, put it in a Tupperware. I was scared to death. Huge though. Uh, that's pretty much the excitement here at the property. We also had a flash flood here, which is, uh, again, like speaking of climate change, we had a flash flood here in the desert two nights ago. Oh Unheard of. We had a hundred year storm here. Unheard of. The ground is wet, like soaking wet in the Mojave desert right now. Never, ever seen anything like it. So, wow. um, I mean, all the trees are really happy, but it's kind of, I think that's why it's so cold because it's damp. Um, mm-hmm. it's been very strange. I don't know. Those are the, that's like the most exciting news I have right now. <laughs> it's like, it's not very exciting, but it's like exciting to me. <laughs> so yeah. if you don't put it in the episode. <laughs> no, that's fine. There's like a, a running joke that my husband and I have about this rat that lives in our garden. We've like created an entire storyline for this rat. His name is Antonio Cesarelli. <laughs> Uh, with his wife Antonia and all of their children with various <laughs> versions of Tony. Uh, yep, yep. Yeah, we I, used to, I Amanda and I used to live it. together in Baltimore years ago, and we had a resident mouse named Carl that would visit us in the kitchen often. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny how you all of a sudden become okay with that stuff because you just have to be okay with it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, where can we find your work online? Uh, you can go to my website, www.bunnyreese.com. Um, or you can just Google, if you can't remember, just Google my name, or you can, um, check out my Instagram and that's at bunny love rocks. Um, and I usually will push on my mailing list, which, um, you can just shoot me an email through my website. If you'd like to be added when I'm having any kind of sales or anything going on, I mostly just sell directly off of my website unless a gallery, uh, happens to have any of my work because I'm showing with them. And right now I don't have any, I don't think I have any work out. I think everything's coming back in and getting ready for new shows for the next couple months. Well, thank you so much for for being willing to be a guest on our show and and sharing your story. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yes, thank you. It's been so fun. That's it for this episode of the Beyond the Studio podcast. You can find show notes, references, and a brief summary of the episode over at our website, beyondthe.studio. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our mailing list to find out about upcoming guests, special announcements, and podcast giveaways. If you're listening to this episode via iTunes, we'd love to ask you to give us a rating and a review because it really makes a big difference. The more reviews we get, the more people we can connect with. And the more we connect, the better we get. And we're trying to get real good here. Sorry, my cat has joined us. Oh, hey, Brussels sprouts. (laughs) My God, that's insane. Yep, yep. It was like a a bad joke when we got her because it was like, two vegans walk into a shelter and leave with a cat named after a vegetable. And we didn't even name her that. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome.